Well, this summer we're going to begin our study on prayer, and as we do, we'll be looking at many of the prayers of the Apostle Paul, and I will follow closely, I think I mentioned this before, but to a book written by D.A. Carson entitled, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. And so that's going to be, I think it will be helpful, and we will follow that throughout the study as we're moving through and looking at these um, different prayers from Paul. Uh, He argues that as we look at those prayers, we will find ourselves in our churches, in our personal lives, in prayer meetings that you attend, often not reflecting those things. The priorities of Paul and the priorities in our own life and our prayer life are radically different. And so hopefully, we'll be reshaped by the Word as we study those and we see those. The goal then is to get a deeper knowledge of God. I mean, we want our prayer lives to reflect who God is so that we are thinking rightly about Him and so we, our priorities would change and we would love Him and want to glorify Him and honor Him and await His coming. All those things that seem to be seriously need to be considered. Another thing too, this, like this study this morning as we're looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, it's like a framework for prayer. And in a sense, it's like looking at a worldview. How does a Christian view his world and then how does his prayers reflect that? So when I get a right framework about my world and what's going on, then how will my prayer reflect that? And I think it's important to note it. Also, I just kind of say to you, we'll look primarily today at verses 3 through 10, and then next week we'll focus in on 11 and 12, and then we'll move to another prayer of Paul. But I just wanted you to know that as we're moving forward. Now, there are two things that are highlighted here in this text. One is there, Paul is thankful for the signs of grace that he sees in the life of believers. Now, what does that mean? It means that as he looks at the church and he sees them growing in faith, growing in love, and being faithful in the midst of persecution, as he is doing that, he is thanking God for those signs of God working in their heart. And he's praising God for it. The second thing is this. He is, he is confident of the prospect, that one guy noted, of vindication. What does he mean by that? He means that in the end that God is going to, uh, Jesus will come back and He's going to make everything right. And all those who rebel against God will be will, will face judgment and those who are His people will be blessed. In the end, even if they face a lot of trouble, in the end God's going to make everything right and He's going to bless His people. So those are the two things. He's thanking God for what He sees in their life and He's also, in His thanksgiving, He is praising God for one day making all things right. So I hope you see that as we move forward this morning. If you would just bow with me and we'll pray together before we start. Father, we just thank you for your word. We ask that you help us see more clearly what it means to live the Christian life, what things are praiseworthy, what things honor you. Help us, Lord, be thankful where we see those in our church. And I pray, Lord, that you give us a vision of the future where all things will be made new where You will save us and rescue us. Give us confidence of that so that we will face this present age differently. And Father, I just pray for those who may be here today who are not with the people of God, who have not trusted in the Lord and Savior, that they would see that that is their only hope in the coming day of judgment. In Christ's name, Amen. So as we begin this morning, look at verse 1. Verses 1 and 2, actually. This is an introductory greeting as Paul begins. And you just... 
Just kind of important to note here, he is speaking to a church. It's Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Paul and Silas went together often. Timothy went with them. There's all these things where they would go on missionary journeys. They would go to a town. They went to this town, a town of called Thessalonica. When they go there, they go there and they begin to preach the gospel. Well, here's what happens. There are Jewish people there, and they get all kind of stirred up. They kind of incite a mob. They come together. They go to a house where they think Paul and Silas are. They end up grabbing a guy named Jason. They drag him out of his house, take him before the leaders of the community, and they have uh, they try to just they, they say this guy is is messing up our whole town. He's he's harboring kind of these people that are they're turning the world upside down, and they, they're trying to bring all kinds of difficulty. And so there's a real tumultuous thing going on in Thessalonica, and that's what happens. So not long after that, some of the believers come together and say, "Hey, let's get Paul and Silas out of the town, but we're going to keep moving forward." And ultimately, Paul checks on them after a short time, and he finds out that these people are standing firm in the faith, and really he uses that as an opportunity. He's been hearing about it, but then he sends Timothy, go check on them, and he finds out, man, these people are walking with the Lord, and so he begins to use that as a means by which he can say, listen, in the face of persecution, you should follow the example of the people in Thessalonica who by the power of God are living faithfully for him. Okay, so that's kind of a real quick summary of what's going on now. Verse 3 as we're moving forward. We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing. Notice that your love here for everyone is increasing. You'll see in verse 4, therefore we also boast about you because of your steadfastness and faith in the face of persecution and affliction. So, why should he be thankful for that? I think it's important. You note this, and this is real important. Who is he thanking here? Is he saying, I am so thankful that y'all are so great and y'all have done all this by yourself and all that kind of stuff. No, who's he thanking here? He's saying, I am thanking God for what I see in you. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to pass in the day of Christ. Now here's the thing. He's saying that God who started a work in you will bring this to pass. Notice what he says. I am thanking God for what He is doing. Paul says at one time in his own life, he says that he has worked so hard in the, in the ministry of the Gospel, but it was not him, but the grace of God in him. And so he is, he, God is the, the one who began the work. God is the one that continues the work. And God is the one that's going to complete the work in their life. And he's thanking God for that. Over and over throughout Scripture, the resounding thing is this. All the glory goes to God. Every bit of it. It is God's initiating, God's continuance, and God's completion of the work in our life. He did this. I think it's just important that we say that. Now, sometimes we say, now what do we give thanks for? I was thinking about the Zach Brown Band. Have y'all heard uh, Chicken Fried? Y'all heard that song? It's kind of popular a couple years ago. Anyway. He says, I thank God for my life and for the stars and stripes. And he speaks of all these things and they're real physical things and he's, they're tangible things. Now, what we would say is sometimes our prayers kind of model that. I thank God for my family and for my new home and I thank God for my car or my boat or my health. And we kind of think about those things and sometimes if I would say, like, hey, let's stop right 
now and I say, listen, I just want people to stand up and say, this is what I'm thankful for. Oftentimes it's only tied to the horizontal, the things that you can see, life under the sun, kind of, if you will. And so I think it's important that we say, now, is there something, even though we we would say, hey, we are thankful for those things, are there times where we need to say, now, listen, what are we most thankful for? When our hearts think about God and what He's doing in the world, is it only physical things or is it the spiritual things that are on that are focused on here D.A. Carson states this but by and large our thanksgiving is tied to material well-being and comfort the unvarnished truth is that we most frequently give thanks for what we most frequently give thanks for betrays what we highly value And so the idea is here, what do I most value is what I give thanks to God for. And I think it's just important that we say there's something greater here that He's trying to teach us of what we are really to be focused on in this life and the life to come. Okay? So let's just kind of move forward as we move forward. Look at this as we'll say, He says that your faith is growing abundantly. Now here's what's important. This is not just that you believe the gospel one time. It is ongoing faith, that they are growing in their faith. It is their ongoing reliance upon the Lord. He is thanking God that they are continually growing in their trust of the Lord. The process of growing his faith is is part of that deal of I walk step by step by faith as the Lord leads me and I'm growing in my reliance. I'm not constantly uh, maybe like not learning to trust him, but I'm growing in that trust of God. I was thinking about, have you all ever um, been in one of those like youth camps where they bring everybody up and they say, we're going to teach you all how to trust one another. And so you go get on a 55 gallon barrel drum. And you're supposed to fall back while your little group kind of catches. Y'all haven't seen that? Maybe you've watched uh, Duck Dynasty recently. but No, but they did that. They took him on this little special deal and they say, okay, stand there and then he's going to fall back. And they're like, this is crazy. But anyway, the issue is this. Learning to trust the Lord in our lives is partly often we are walking forward without being able to see. Uh, We cannot see the step forward, but we are walking in faith without ever truly, genuinely seeing what all is going to take place in the moment. It's hard to see with the eyes of faith, and yet he is saying they are constantly learning to rely upon the Lord. Are you learning to do that? You know how you see the evidence of someone growing in faith is they grow in faithfulness. Maybe you could say they're more bold in their witness to others. They're going to talk about who He is. They're they're willing to lay aside these idols in their life, things that they treasure more than the Lord. And they begin to toss away old sins and they throw them off and they begin to walk with the Lord. They're growing in faith. They're willing to live with eternity in view. They're thinking about the age to come rather than just what they can see in the present. How do you grow in faith? You're to say, Jared, this is how you grow. I mean, one element is certainly learning about God. Partly, we have to know who God is so that we come together and read the Word and we talk about it together because we want to learn who is God. But it's not just like doing a bunch of Bible studies. It's not that you could just do endless Bible studies and win all trivia games on the Bible. That means you've grown in faith. 
That's not necessarily the case. Some people that could beat anyone down in an argument and they can argue all the positions about who God is or whatever, they may not be people really walking in faith. It is a learning to rely upon the Lord. It is a knowledge of God that acts, that moves forward, that trusts Him in the daily activities of life. And so I just think it's important that we understand that. Now, sometimes what we need is in the church is to be around people who walk by faith. You ever been around someone? You think that they trust the Lord, they walk with the Lord, they're aware of the Lord, they're living and their life kind of reflects that. And so we need others around us. Sometimes we read about people in the history of the church and we, we hear their voice or in biblical history where they walk by faith like those in Hebrews 11. But whatever we say, we would say, listen, Paul's greatest concern is not that everybody in the church has a two-story house or a three-story house and fancy cars. I mean, it's not as, he's not like, oh Lord, we're so thankful that everybody is wealthy in this church. It's not his goal. That's not his ambition for them. He is, I'm grateful that they are relying on the Lord and walking in His ways. And their love for one another is increasing. I think it's important that we note this, but for you, and just, you might want to turn here, maybe not, but in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, it builds a case here. Why does someone's love increase? Why does someone's love for God grow? It is because they have experienced the new birth. It is because God has shown His love into their hearts. He has shined it into their hearts so that they see and understand and comprehend with the eyes of their heart the magnitude of God's love for them. They were once in blindness to God's love. Now they see the miraculous love of God that has been brought to them through His Son who came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for them and gave His life for them so that they could be saved from the wrath of God, saved from their sins, saved from the enemy of their soul, Satan. They would be rescued by Him so that once they experience that love, they love others. See, these people are growing in their love for one another. Genuine love for God is a love also for the people of God. And because God is love, we grow in that love. Now here's the thing. Why is that difficult? Why do we need to grow in our love for one another? This is why. Because of our sinfulness, we often love ourselves more than anyone else, right? And the Scriptures say, love your your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because most of us and all of us at some level are so in love with ourselves, we don't want anybody else in our lives that would mess things up. And what happens is throughout the church, and you'll see this like in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 13, 4-7, it says, love is patient and kind. Why is it hard to, to understand that? Because sometimes people, when you get close to them and you grow in your love for one another, you realize, man, they're going to really fire me up. And so I see, hey, it's patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. Maybe sometimes in the church you're around somebody and they're really good at something or they're really successful in this area or that area and you have this tendency or maybe they have something that you don't have and so they have this 
this tendency to say, oh, well, I want this and I want that. And they get around people and all of a sudden, they don't love them. They just want to be like them. They want what they have. It's not arrogant or rude. It is not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Now, here's the thing. You get around people and, and they rub you the wrong way and you get a little irritable and you're just like, oh, I just want to lash out at them. Or you resent them because some reason, like you begin to build up in your mind, these are all the bad things that they've done to me. And the closer you get to the people within the church, the more you're able to take a little microscope and look at every point of their life and you go, look, this and this and this. I can be angry all I want. He's saying their love is growing for one another. They're growing in their love because they realize the love of God that's been given to them. It's overwhelming. It is shocking that they would continue to grow in their love for one another, but this is a work of God in their hearts. Sometimes, have you ever been on a team or been in some kind of club or a group of people that, man, you really like them because they are just like they love to talk about what you like. You might be in some kind of book reading club and they love to talk about books and you're like, boy, I really like them because they like to talk about this. Or you get around somebody and they and I like to fish. And let's say there's fish, there used to be those that are all around here, fishing clubs and everybody talking about fishing. Woo! You know, we're so pumped up. Did you catch this one? And you say, oh man, we're just so good. Man, everybody's tight. We, we have the, all the same things. We like all the same things. And sometimes you see a church and you think that's kind of what it's made up of. People of every, uh, have everything that's exactly alike. And the result of that is, of course, they kind of enjoy each other because they like to talk about the same stuff. But here's the thing. The Scripture reveals to us over and over that the church is a multinational people of God made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation that one day in heaven that you will be among people that maybe here on earth you don't want to be around. But, but, but it's made up of something so much more dynamic because it is a people that have been united about the most important thing in all of history. They are united around Christ. They have a spiritual connection that cannot be destroyed by anything in this world and it will carry on into eternity. Death will not lose your relationship with these people. And sometimes we think, well, this is like a forced community. It is a forced people. I have to love those people even though they're so radically different than me. And yet the Bible says is there is a spiritual connection that transcends even some of your physical families. In your future... There will be some who you have been close to in this life that that relationship will die when they are put in the grave, but not with the church. And so in this life, cultivating a love for the people of God in the expression of a local body is the very heartbeat of God. Is it costly? Is, Is it exhausting? Does it rub you the wrong way? Does it sometimes force you to die to yourself? Yes. And yet God has brought a people together from all different types. Listen to what D.A. Carson says about this. It is made up of people who are as varied and as can be. Rich and poor. Learned and unlearned. Practical and impractical. Sophisticated and unsophisticated. Aristocratic and plebeian disciplined and flighty, 
intense and carefree, extrovert and introvert, and everything in between. The only thing that holds these people together is their shared allegiance to Jesus Christ, their devotion to Him stemming from His indescribable love for them. He is praising God that He sees these people walking by faith in the face of a lot of struggle and loving one another even when this group that's come together is unlovely. People from all different types and they are united. Third thing that we see, he says here, ourselves, we boast in the church of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions. What is he doing here? He's saying, Paul gives them thanks that they are persevering under trial. Paul is not, listen to me, Paul does not have this view of Christianity. If you're a Christian and you walk by faith, no trouble. That's not, what, that's not what he teaches. He doesn't teach that a good Christian has the perfect life in the present. On the contrary, oftentimes the closer I get to the Lord, the more difficulty it is to live in the present. And so as he's moving through, he's saying, listen, you guys are facing much tribulation, but what he's told us about them is they have become an example of all those who believe because they see, when they're watching their life, they see a steadfastness. They keep walking with the Lord in the face of opposition. Actually, in 1 Thessalonians, it says that they received the Gospel message with the joy of the Holy Spirit in the face of great trial. They said, I'm going to identify with Christ even though it may cost me my life. So he's thanking God for seeing those who are living in this present age embodying a faithfulness in the face of great struggle. John 15, Jesus told them, He says, listen, if the world hated me, it will hate you. The world system is opposed to the things of God. Therefore, those who align themselves with God, it will be opposed to them. And I think it's just important that we say that. Now, let me just stop and say, at Christ Community Church, if you had been where I have been over the last three years, you would see that there are a people here growing in faith. Their love continues to grow and they have been faithful in the face of opposition. It may look different. It's not like they're going to lose their life. But they keep walking faithfully in, the great, in a great struggle. I just want to mention a couple of things that I've seen in courageous faith. There are people here that have been courageous about this church moving forward. Even when I feel like I could just kind of walk away, they're holding this church by encouraging words and saying, keep fighting the fight of faith. Keep walking when you cannot see. Keep moving forward. There are people here that don't just think about the Bible as some intellectual exercise where they can win an argument or criticize everybody and tell them how dumb they are. The people here that I see over and over is they are growing in their knowledge of God so that they might live in a way that would glorify God. So that they might walk forward in faith and in the face of whatever struggle they may have. There are people here that are in their workplaces that are regularly sharing their faith. There are people here that I've seen that thought, I am not gifted in certain areas, and yet God has shown them and empowered them and helped them walk by faith to move forward to serve others in marvelous ways in this church. 
There are people that have left a lot of comfortable places and said, I'm going to move into a church setting where it's totally out of my box, totally out of the ordinary, totally nothing I've never, you know, I couldn't imagine the things that we would have to do and the things that I'd have to invest in, and yet they walk in faith. When I think about the church, uh, this church's love for one another, I've seen men who say, look, I'm going to take this young man on as a spiritual son. I even heard someone say last week, said, like father, like son, and they're talking about that, and they carry them, and they say, hey, I'm going to invest in them, and I'm going to invest in their life, and I'm going to take them on as my own. There are people in this church I've watched over and over come here week after week, and they store up, I mean, bring out all this stuff and set up the sound and get all these things, and afterwards they put it up, and it just takes a lot of work, and they have to get up early, and they just keep doing it. There are people that take care of the financial needs. Every week, money's given, and somebody's taking it over and bringing it back and doing this and doing that and making sure all of that is in order out of love for God and His people. I see, I could just make list after list. There are people that when someone new comes to this church, they've week after week, they go and invest in their life. And what do they do? They go take them out to dinner, or they call them, or they meet them for coffee, and they pursue them trying to say, listen, be a part of this body. We love you, and we want good for your life. There are people that have opened their homes over and over out of a love for God and a love for this body, and they open their homes without fail week after week after week so that we experience community with one another. There are people that are moving along step by step, and they are saying, listen, I want to help someone that just had a baby, and I'm going to send meals to them and do this over and over. I'm going to provide an event that we can be a part of so people can communicate together and love on one another. There are people that are saying, hey, we need to be on mission as a church and they're inspiring us to move forward in mission and to think about the world and what is going on around us, all demonstrating a love for God and a love for His people. Thirdly, just kind of thinking about this, there are people that I know have been alienated from friends because of what them being involved in this body at this church. They've overcome great difficulty. Some, I believe, have even faced great physical suffering. Not necessarily, I mean, just sickness and illness and yet pressed through by faith in this last year. There are people who are prayer warriors who are fighting a silent battle that you never know about in this body. And they're praying over and over that God would move mightily and they're fighting the battle of faith in the face of all the trials of being a prayer warrior in this present age. This is something that we need to be thanking God for. We, 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 the question I think was in there this week, but when is the last time you sat down and maybe on the city or looked over a list of people and just sat there and thanked God that He provided a people at this church with all these varying gifts who are growing in faith and in love and persevering under trial? We should be centered in that. And I would just say, if you have not dug in with the people at this church, you may not see all those things, but it's for your loss. I encourage you, get in the game. Don't just sit on the sidelines, but immerse yourself in the people of God here and you will, be grow, you will help you grow in faith and in love and in perseverance. It's demonstrated over and over and over. Alright, let's keep going. Verse 5. You ready? In verses 5, as we're moving through verses 5 through 10... I took up too much time. I thought I was going to do that. But anyway, in verses 5-10, through 10, if you'll hang with me, we'll look at confidence in the prospect of vindication. And here's what he means by that. 
one author wrote about it and he says this is, there's a confidence there. In the face of great suffering, there's a confidence that God is just. Now notice in verse 5 and verse 10, he said this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom for which you are suffering. Verse 10, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and be marveled at among all those who have believed. God is just. And God is going to make all things right. Listen to me. As you walk with the Lord, God is going to make things right. You're going to face trouble, but in the end, God is going to preserve you. He is going to uphold you. Some of them thought, I may lose my life, and they may have. But in the end, God's going to make all things right. He's, going to t- he's telling them, look, God is going to restore order in this world, and He is going to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. Notice here what he says to believers, and I think it's just important. He is saying, listen, you are faced with great temptation and trial. And in the face of that, it is so great it's almost unimaginable, but in the end you'll be proven right. You may be scorned in this life, but in the end God will say, you were right with Me. You did trust in My Son. And you're waiting for the day when, he, when Jesus will return and He'll gather people from the four winds of the earth. He'll take His angels and they will bring all of God's people together. And in the end, you'll see that it's all going to be okay. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. We are looking for the unseen. We are living our eyes and not being able to see it in the present often. But the Lord says this, and He's saying through Paul, this momentary trouble has nothing to compare to the glory that is to be revealed in Christ. And He's nailing that down for us. He's saying God is going to bring this to pass. Sometimes for the church, in our generation, we don't think much about heaven. Sometimes we think all we want is heaven now. If we could just get everything where it's just heavenly here, we'd never want to leave. But throughout the Bible, there's this anticipation that Christ would return and He would bring His people together and He would say, all things are right and I'm taking them in and all that you've lived for has been worth it. And that's what we see over and over. One author wrote a hymn, says, face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face what will it be? When with rapture I behold Him, Jesus Christ who died for me, only faintly now I see Him with the darkling veil between. But a better day is coming when His glory shall be seen. There is something that Paul's doing. He's saying, I love to see your faith growing, your love growing for one another, and your perseverance, but this is not it. There is coming a day when all things will be brought together. And I'm telling you, the love of God will be seen and you'll experience it in ways that you never imagined. Everything will be wonderful in the end. Just live with that vision in the present. And as he prays, that's how he thinks. But also we see for others, there's going to be retribution. For others, they will pay the, for the, the punishing of the people of God, for the rejection of Jesus. In the end, they will. Notice what happens in verses 6-9. through nine. Those who have afflicted you, when the Lord returns, He's going to inflict vengeance on them. 
The Lord says over and over, Vengeance is mine. Thus saith the Lord, Leave it up to God. He will bring it to pass in the end. Those who do not obey the Gospel, those who turn away from the Gospel, those who turn away from Christ, those who hate Christ's people in the present, they will pay in the future. And Paul gives them that. You say, well, that's just wild. Notice how long they will pay in the future. He's going to inflict vengeance on them. And it's not just a temporary thing. It is eternal destruction. Eternal. It will never stop. They will be set away from the presence of God and the glory of His might, and they will be punished eternally. Now here's the vision. Here's the worldview. Grow in faith. Continue to trust God. Love His people. And you be steadfast in the face of persecution because one day God is going to bring you into His kingdom and you into His love and you into His face where you can see Him and you will be like Him and you will experience eternal blessing in Him and He will punish all those who run against the people of God. And they will eternally be punished. And this gave them great hope in the present. Gave them great hope that in the end, God would restore order. If you are here today, if you are here as a believer today, I encourage you to pray that this would be your worldview. That your prayers would center around this that they would understand you would grasp this if you're not a believer today. I, I want you to understand, even if you said, I never did anything away from... I have never treated the people of God bad. I just didn't care about them. Jesus is saying, look, if you don't believe My Gospel in the end, you will be punished for your sins. Not just your sins of what you did against the people of God, but what you did not do for them. You will be punished for your sins because you lived a life in alienation and away from Me. You are a rebel from your birth and you continue to rebel all of your life and you will be punished as a rebellious sinner. But for those who in repentance and faith come to Me, they will be saved. Saved from the wrath of God saved from the pains of hell forever. So wherever you are today, as a believer or unbeliever, I hope you see this framework for all of life. That for the believer, it would inform your prayer. And for the unbeliever, you would repent and believe. You would just bow with me at this time. Father, we thank You for Your Word. For the blessing of knowing You for the blessing of, of being able to be a part of a body where the, the faith, there's faith, there's growing faith, there's growing reliance, there's growing love, there's steadfastness in the face of persecution. We thank you for that. We pray that would be enhanced here. Lord, I pray that we would see that part of the way that happens is getting a vision of what you're going to do in the future. Just let us see that so that we would live in light of that in the present. And God, I just ask that if there's someone here lost today, that they are enemies against You and against Your church, that they would repent and believe and know that they would find forgiveness. In Christ's name.
Amen.